Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by the Review Planner. Our performance review planner just got promoted with six brand new and bossed up planner sections to help guide you towards a promotion with confidence. So if you've ever felt like you've been outworking others but not being recognized, like you've been offended, outraged, or disappointed during at least one performance review, like you just are not being seen and recognized for the work that you do at work, then this planner is for you. If you do not already have a performance review planner, head on over to choosealadder.com and get your planner today. In this episode, you meet Melissa Donaldson, the Senior Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Wintrust Financial Corporation. Melissa, a self-described business leader with a heart for human capital, is the first Chief Diversity Officer at Wintrust and is responsible for developing diversity and inclusion strategies for increasing competitive advantage while positioning Wintrust as an employer of choice and responsible corporate citizen. The heart of her practice is that advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion should be business-owned and leader-led to promote shared responsibility in action. A direct report to the CEO, Melissa established the ubiquitous One Wintrust masthead as a unifying guidepost. Noted accomplishments include establishing the annual Executive Diversity Forum Assembly of Top Senior Executives, co-designed 360 Inclusivity Multicultural Segment Framework, launched Paired to Win Hybrid Mentorship Sponsorship Program targeting underrepresented leaders, regular Board of Directors engagement, and contributor to ESG reporting. Prior to joining Wintrust, Melissa led inclusion practices as a director with both Walgreens and CDW LLC, which received the Exemplary Voluntary Efforts Award from the U.S. Department of Labor in 2008. Skilled in communications, strategic planning, stakeholder management, and innovative high-impact programming, Melissa is a versatile change agent who enjoys collaborating with internal and external partners to drive results. Crane Chicago's business named Melissa among top diversity, equity, and inclusion executives and most influential women in commercial banking. Chicago United selected Melissa to the esteemed 2021 Business Leaders of Color to name a few of her accolades. Melissa is a Leadership Greater Chicago Daniel Burnham Fellow and a member of the Economic Club of Chicago and the Lynx Incorporated. A prolific writer and speaker, she has contributed to numerous industry publications, conferences, podcasts, radios, and other media outlets. Melissa holds an MSc from Northwestern University, MSA from Central Michigan University, and a BS from Wright State University, Raj Soyne College of Business. She has guest lectured at Northwestern University and serves on a variety of boards and councils. I had such a phenomenal time talking to Melissa. Her approach to creating culture and inclusive environments for everyone who works um, within the walls of her corporation really are a breath of fresh air. And I appreciated the practical tools and the practical advice that she gave for the next generation of aspiring leaders. So as always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, your favorite pen, and get ready to get to work. Melissa, thank you so much for deciding to have this conversation. I have been um, a fangirl of yours ever since my time at the Sky. You know, Wintrust is a partner. And <laughs> seeing you in your position, right, behind the scenes observing your work has um, been really inspiring to someone like me who was, you know, an up-and-coming leader in my space. And so thank you for saying yes. Oh, my gosh. Watch it. Thank you so much. That's so that warms my heart quite a bit. So thank you so much. I wish we would have met earlier, you know. I'm glad we've had the opportunity. Um, so we're going to get to you being a Black woman in a male-dominated industry further along in the conversation, but um, I always like to start with the very beginning. How did you decide, or did you decide that corporate was going to be a route that you would pursue, or is this something that kind of just happened? Corporate was a route that I wanted to pursue, and you know, it wasn't that I had all these grandiose ideas of I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or what have you, but you know, I knew that I was going to go to college and because my friends were going to college and I was not about to be left out. Um, but um, I actually have been working in, you know, formal, what you would call organizational slash corporate spaces since I was 15. Um, when I was a senior in high school, 
myself and, and two other friends, we literally had a half day uh, of, of you know, coursework because we had met all of our requirements for graduation. And we would all drive out to the Air Force Base. I'm from uh, Dayton, Ohio. And uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was a place that three of us, we would go three days a week and work in an office. Mm. So I, I just kind of knew that, um, you know, the corporate setting, so to speak, was going to be my path. I'm, I'm fascinated by business. I'm fascinated by uh, leadership and strategy. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it is something that I've continued to try and build upon. Ever since I, my professor and my undergraduate said, hey, I have a referral for you. Didn't even know he really noticed me in the classroom. And then, you know, I followed up on the referral and they hired me and one thing's led to another. So here I am, <laughs> you know, some decades and decades later. <laughs> Um, and thinking back to that time, now that you are in the position where you can be the person who looks at someone and says, I want to hire them. What do you think it was about you during that phase of your life that made someone say like, yes, I think that we should take a chance on her. You know, it's interesting watching. I think that I, you know, it, I can't testify to this. Okay. But I, I would imagine that there was something about the way I probably participated um, in class and being interested and attentive and serious about my work and and um, just just having a lot of interest uh, in the subject matter and frankly it probably didn't hurt I was one of few um, students of color in the class so I also probably stood out from that standpoint but I didn't mind right mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that um, uh, there was something about, cause it wasn't like my, my professor and I had this deep relationship and, you know, I spent a lot of time in his office or what have you, but it was myself and actually, um, uh, a, a young white male student that he also referred to this organization as well. And so it, it's tough to say, you know, that's, those, that's one of those things that, gosh, I wish I knew a little bit more specifically about what the attraction was, but. I like to think that because I know that I try to be a decent student, you know, that I was that I was serious about uh, the task at hand that hopefully some of that um, made an impression on him. And were your parents corporate people? They were not. Uh, they were both blue collar. So my mother uh, worked the line for um, General Motors at a local plant um, in Dayton, Ohio. And my father managed a warehouse for a, an outdoor clothing company. Mm. And so, um, no, we were very uh, blue collar. I, I grew up uh, one of five um, siblings. And, you know, I don't feel like we ever really wanted for anything. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we had harmony, you know, in the household. And um, we got along. Um, we grew up. Uh, together. And um, I just feel like I had good examples from different people in different parts of the community. So my friends, parents, and, you know, nurses and engineers and, and, um, you know, uh, administrators and uh, coaches. And, you know, I, I think I just, they all just kind of had an impression on me um, one way or another. I did not ask anybody, hey, who's a chief diversity officer? I did, not, I did not ever have that conversation with someone as I was coming up, nor did I see that example. Um, so I think one of the, the things that is interesting is a lot of people, like when we look at our backgrounds and our childhoods, like we were not, um, like love wasn't absent, support wasn't absent, but it was support in a way that our parents understood. So for you, mm -hmm. as someone who, decided that business was going to be it. How did you figure out how to navigate that space, right? Because there are people who can ask their parents because they've worked there and they have, you know, they know yeah. that networking is important and they know the, the terms mentors and sponsors, right? It's been a part of their upbringing. For a lot of us, it hasn't been. So how did you approach figuring and navigating that out? Can I say there for the grace of God, go I? <laughs> Listen, listen. <laughs> I am a person of faith and I do rely on my faith daily. And, I, and I'm not sure that I was as aware of that when I was younger as I am now, mm -hmm. right? And so 
Uh, I, I always joke, you know, I, I graduated undergraduate, thank you, Lottie. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, I, a lot of things happen. I started out with one major, wound up with a different major, changed schools after my freshman year. You know, and, and I think for me, and I, I, I think I'm still kind of this way, is just one foot in front of the other, right? And it's just following the path of interest. And, and um, uh, I've always been, I think, a, a sort of strategic kind of thinker and trying to make connections between things. And so uh, just really thinking about what, what role can I play? Mm. Um, and, you know, early in my career, um, I was fortunate. I had managers who literally watching was like, okay, I know what you do here, but listen, I've got a friend at this other company that I actually think you'll do really, really well over there. And I followed it, you know, and probably to a fault, you know, you think that's what's best for me by George, I'm going to follow up on that. So mm-hmm. you're right. It wasn't necessarily coming from my parents per se, even though you know, I said I have five fifth siblings. I'm number four of five. So I did have access to individuals who were working in offices and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in their friend circles and so forth. But, you know, it was really following those, the path of here's what I think you ought to do. And quite frankly, I probably should have been a little bit more discerning about it. But I, you know, one step just led to another, to another, to another. Um, And it really probably wasn't until I was literally probably about about six, seven years into my career at that point that I started waking up to, okay, I don't want to do that part anymore. I want to go, you know, I don't want to be in the federal space anymore. I actually want to transition to, quote unquote, the the, the public space or the commercial space Mm -hmm. um, and, and just follow that path. Mm-hmm. And it was six years here, seven years here, 13 years there, six years. And, and you know, I just just continued to sort of practice the notion of seed time and harvest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, got what I could from various um, opportunities that I was in. I wouldn't say that I was restless, but, you know, when I, I just kind of had a feeling that I just knew when it was time for a change. Mm. Um, and uh, just kind of picked up my harvested basket of experiences and skills and just took it to the next one and started to plant more seeds, quite honestly. And I'm still practicing that to this day, you know, uh, trying to gather something from one situation or one organization and sort of taking that to the next and then building upon that. Um, and growing um, from there. So I want to circle back to something that you said uh, like a minute ago, because it's a hundred percent counter to the narrative that most young people are being given about how to pursue their career. You said it's one day, one, one foot in front of the other, and you're figuring it out as you go. The narrative is that we're supposed to know what we want, be strategic, have a five-year plan. And honestly, that leads to a lot of anxiety and stress when you feel like you're behind what your plan is supposed to be. And so if there are young black women who are listening, who are like, oh my God, I'm this age and I'm not where I thought I would be, or, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get to a chief title or a senior leadership title. What would you say to that young woman? I do have a saying that I said, that is that, Hey, I take this one week, one month, one quarter, one year at a time. We check in and see what's working and what's not. I'm sorry. Do you not ever feel afraid that like you're going to get left behind? Nope. And you know what I think the difference has been? Um, When I was probably about 20 years ago, uh, probably closer to 25 years ago, I experienced my first ever layoff. Mm. Now, mind you, it was a situation where my my husband had taken a job um, in Chicago and um, was moving the family. I had a toddler and I was pregnant with my second child. Moving to Chicago, no family, um, you know, really kind of didn't know, like, you know, talk about this sitting in Kansas anymore. It was different. I was used to, you know, being in predominantly African-American situations, school, friend group, all of that. And all of that had, was, was like vanishing mm-hmm. as I was moving. 
um, to Chicago. So when I got, um, I was fortunate to be able to transfer the job that I was in because they had an office here in Chicago. And I was also aware that the company was trying to position itself to be sold. And so this was early 90s, mid 90s. And, you know, layoffs, rifts, whatever you want to call it, downsizing, you know, it wasn't foreign at that point. There had been some of that. And I knew the company was trying to prepare itself for a sale. And so I literally raised my hand and was like, I know you guys have to figure out who you want to put on that next round of downsizing. Please put me on that list. (laughs) It's okay. Mm -hmm. Literally. And so they were like, are you sure? And I said, yes, I really am sure. Um, Because I need to figure out where I am. What, you know, where, where I'm living, how to get my kids situated, these kinds of things. Um, And that was a turning point for me in many different ways, because I didn't know what was coming. I had to focus on what was in front of me, Mm. right? And when I got a little restless, to be honest with you, it was like, okay, got to get back into the game. Um, I went through the outplacement um, services that were made available through the, you know, the package. Um, And that was one of the best experiences of my entire life. It was a turning point for me because it made me really look long and hard about what do you want? What are your ideal preferences? What are you good at? What do you want to build upon? These kinds of things. And I really kind of felt like that put me in a degree of control. Mm. And I may not be acceptable to everyone, but I was picking up skills and techniques that helped me to connect with different people. So I, I really learned the art of networking, mm. you know, and reaching out. Back when there was, we were still using cover letters. I used a cover letter to connect with folks out of the blue, you know. Um, but it, it really gave me an opportunity to explore different things. Um, and I didn't have to be in a hurry to move. But I knew that I was one of those people that, you know, um, being an at-home mom for a long time, that wasn't something that was comfortable. It was just mm-hmm. not something that it was not in my bones. I do think that people are cut out to be teachers, doctors, nurses, you know, homemakers. Some people are cut out to be in business. I felt like that was me. Mm. Um, and so I followed up on that. And ever since, sure, I've had feelings of, uh, wow, you know, they got picked for that role. When am I going to get picked for that kind of role? And then I got to the point watching where I was like, that's not your path, right? So if you're going to be a person of faith, be a person of faith. And have faith and know that I know what's best, Lord. <laughs> I didn't come here for this today, Jesus. I did not come here for this, Lord, okay? Because <laughs> I am definitely on the, Lord, what are you doing? And why what are you doing so long? And he's saying, what are you doing? You know, like, I need you to go. You know, one of the things that I pray for is tell me where to go, who to speak to, what to say, and what to do. That's it. Because I recognize that once I really get involved and start trying to run things, I will blow it. Mm. Maybe <laughs> I will screw it up. Maybe that's my problem because my prayer is, hey, Lord, here, here's where we're going. I need you to come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we, this, I need you to get in the passenger seat. Get in the car. This your seat. <laughs> and he said, no, baby. You know, as they say, you playing God laughs. I believe yes. that. And I think I he's laughing that. a little too hard at my life. Okay, got jokes. I know. I know what you mean. And I'm still trying to figure it out. But um, I've had those situations. And, you know, it's just, we had a, a Women's History Month program just last week. And one of the speakers, um, she's a career strategist. And, and one of the things that she said was, you know, when people, you see people, they got tapped for that big job. And they're like, oh, gosh, I got tapped for that job. They often don't know how did I get here and what made you tap me? So I can't build upon that, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, if I don't know what the foundation was, um, then I'm going to have difficulty building upon that, like mm-hmm. adding more and more flavor and texture um, uh, to that particular experience. So that kind of really put some things into perspective for me, mm-hmm. um, even as recently as last week, mm-hmm. that my path is not going to be your path. But I can admire your path, but I don't have to envy your path to where it stifles my own, Mm -hmm. right? I can cheer for you. Um, I can encourage you. 
And frankly, I hope that some of that will rub off on me mm. because iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to surround myself with people who are, you know, forward thinking, who, who, who have a good heart, who are encouraging someone who can relate and say, girl, I know what you mean. We don't have to be in the same office, same company, same building, same, same none of that. Mm-hmm. But to be able to say, like you said, I didn't come here for this, but I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> there's validation. You know, there's validation in that because oftentimes, particularly as women of color, as leaders of color, we are often the elephant in the land of penguins. I'm not seeing myself anywhere, but I'm here and I need to fulfill my role, mm-hmm. you know, and I need to make sure that others know that I'm, that I'm about the business, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's, it's, it, that is one of those things that I am hyper aware of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am hyper aware of the settings that I'm in and who's in the space and, and try to understand, you know, who's who and what role do they need to play. And I think that that is one thing that, you know, um, the next generation of professionals and leaders that are coming along should spend some more time doing. Mm-hmm. Do your homework on the space you're in, you know, before you think about what those two, three, four jumps ahead are, what space are you in and what have you gotten out of it and how have you contributed to that to the point that they want you to contribute more of that, mm-hmm. right? We're always positioning and selling, right? I used to be in sales uh, in prior life um, before I got into the world of diversity and inclusion and positioning is, is key. You know, I, I, what, what does what I have to offer mean to you? Can I help create that vision mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and how uh, we can do some great things together? And one of the reasons that I started this conversation is because I really think that my generation has created a romanticized vision of what a seat at the table actually looks like, because we Mm. don't have visibility into. So you say, like you talked about someone being tapped for a role. All we know is that they've been tapped. We don't know the responsibilities once they're seated. Right. And we don't have visibility into the sacrifices and the ways in which they have to perform and behave in an effort to maintain that position, right? All we know is like, there's a black woman, there's there's Melissa, oh my gosh, she's at the podium and her hair is this and all of this, she gets invited to these events. But we, because we don't know, a lot of us don't know people like Melissa's in real life. There's not a balanced perspective on if a Melissa type job is actually one that I want to pursue. Right. Because all we see is the finished product of once all of the behind the scenes has taken place. And so my hope has always been like, let's actually prepare people to make an informed decision on if the life that is required in order to be in those seats is one that we actually want to live. That is exactly right. And, you know, one way to do that is you got to put yourself out there to meet these people who can be those informers. Mm. Right. Um, And, you know, even. In my position today, do I look around the room and get lonely? Yes, because <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know I would like to see true peers, um, and I don't often see that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to hide myself or hoard myself off because I don't see true peers, like true reflections, mm-hmm. other Black women, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at at similar kinds of levels um, in the organization. But that doesn't make me above anyone else. And it also doesn't devalue me mm-hmm. um, either. Uh, and, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with having that romantic notion. Sometimes that gives us a little bit more hope. Mm-hmm. But the question is, what are you doing? What work are you putting behind it? And are you working so hard that you're just running in place? Or are you sort of making your, your capabilities known? Mm. Right. That means you've got to build a network. You've got to build people, frankly, who are two, three degrees away from who you want to be connected to or who you want to be or what role you want to have. Um, Because I truly believe that those degrees of separation are very, very important. That, uh, you know, studies have actually shown that 70 percent of what we need to be successful in our role comes from another person. It doesn't come from a book, doesn't come from a class. 
It comes from another person. And then it becomes, okay, well, who do you know? Who know? You know, and not like I'm inquiring to sort of use you, but through relationship, we come to know um, each other. And I think, you know, people underestimate what inclusion really is about. Mm. You know, it's tapping into the, the, the ingenuity, the experiences, the backgrounds, the unique perspectives that we're all bringing to the table that hopefully once we decide to put it in the middle of the table, we can build a better mousetrap, mm-hmm. you know, and that we can all see ourselves continuing to be successful and contributing to, to the bottom line of the organization. Because you know what's important watching is that if I ever decide to move on from the organization, I still got the receipts of what I contributed that nobody can take away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can try and tell a different story, but I got the receipts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can have that romantic vision, but be willing to tweak it uh, along the way because you haven't been everywhere and you haven't seen everything. Mm. And if you live long enough, you'll learn that um, there's probably a whole lot more out there than your mind even conceived. Mm. So how and do you, so continuing to be interested. How do you deal with the intimidation factor though, right? So there are people who, when you think about networking, the thought of going up to a senior executive or someone who maybe is two, three levels above you can be, you know, intimidating, scary. You don't want to say the wrong things. You don't know what you have in common with them. You don't necessarily know what value you can provide to them. And so that fear sometimes stops people from moving forward to pursue relationships, right, that could potentially help them. So what what are some tips or some things that you've used maybe to help build stronger relationships? Well, first of all, be prepared, right? You, you don't go into any high stakes situation and not be prepared, at least you shouldn't, <laughs> right? So just like you were prepared for a speech or a presentation or, or frankly, an elevator pitch, that's preparation for what will I say if I find myself trapped in a situation with someone who can influence the outcome of my career mm-hmm. in the moment, okay? Mm-hmm. So, so that is something that I have, gotten used to really try to strengthen and hone is, is, is really being able to tell my story mm. um, and what it is that I want you to know in, in the moment. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with, a, with an executive just the other day and I said, you know, here's one thing that I want you to know. This is what I came here to do. You know, regardless of where I sit, this is how I want to contribute to the organization. The question is of whether or not you're interested in it. Mm. And if you're not, I just need to know. And and it wasn't a confrontational situation. It was just having an understanding and clarity around what I wanted to contribute. And you're going to hear me use that word a lot because contribute is what I offer, not what you get. And and just table stakes is the mutual agreement that if I give, I get paid, right? If I give, you give me back, right? And you should be offering me opportunity for growth and development. A lot of that I've got to activate personally, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and many people forget that. Many people will focus on it's the meritocracy or it's who I know or it's who I'm going to attach myself to. When in fact, you know, that, that, that basic mutual bilateral agreement of if I give, if I do what I need to do, you're going to pay me and you're going to continue to, you know, add on to that, you know, over time. And when it becomes no longer attractive, then I should be looking at doing something else, mm. right? But as long as I feel like I can make a difference for the organization, I should be thinking about how I can make those contributions. Who are our customers? How are we doing business? Where do I perceive as the gap? Follow up on that. Verify or, or you know, confirm or deny if that is in fact the way uh, that we need to go and what, what, what that gap might look like. And then create a game plan, you know, a business case, if you will. Mm -hmm. Is this of interest, right? Does this make sense? If the outcome could look like X, is that important to you? Mm -hmm. And then all I have to do is react to it, right? So unless I have my own enterprise, I have to be able to foreshadow, create, offer, explain, then have them react. And if the reaction is, I disagree with what you're offering, then I just have to accept that because it's not my organization, mm-hmm. right? 
And, and I know that one of the, the questions you sent me was, how do you know when it's time to shift? You know when you know, right? You're not going to keep banging your head up against the wall. There's too many options out there for that. Unless you're so tied to the company you are with, the brand you're under, and the title that you have, that you're willing to forego everything else mm. just so you can hang on to that. Mm. That's when you start seeing people get stressed, right? And boy, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. You got to be willing to move with the, with the tide, mm. you know, a little bit. Are there things that you deal with as a Black woman leader that you don't think your peers necessarily have to? <laughs> not the laugh. Not the laugh. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure, there, I'm sure there is, you know, but it's like they would tell you, but let those people think about you. It's not your business. But, <laughs> but what I would say is, um, you know, I am, like I said, hyper aware, and that's not to mean paranoid at all. But I am aware of how I show up and what impression I'm trying to leave, right? So that if watching comes in behind me, you'll already be used to somebody who has something to offer, who looks like me. And sometimes there just isn't enough example and experience more frequently with that. So it's not that I found through the course of 16 years of leading diversity and inclusion at the corporate level, right? That it's not so much that. I want to leave you out. It's like, I didn't consider it because I wasn't aware, wasn't deep enough in my psyche, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is one thing that my peers don't necessarily deal with mm -hmm. or, you know, majority populations don't necessarily deal with that underrepresented populations have to deal more with is I might be the first one you encounter. I might be the first one who has, who has maybe, you know, you know, kind of stood, stood straight and was like, that's, I disagree, had a voice, you know, and, and, and you know, really had an, an intelligent, objective conversation mm. uh, with you. I, I could be the first one. A lot of people don't think about that. I'm aware. Um, and, and, I, and I don't want to not be aware of that because I think that that would help, that would, um, might lead me to be sloppy mm. and I don't want to be sloppy, mm. right? I want them to, so when you hear about black girl magic, they'll know what that looks like. Mm. <laughs> so one of the, the things that comes up in our, so we, I choose that it has a pretty robust community of like black women. They're all mostly middle managers. And I think there's a level of frustration around how slowly they feel like change is happening in corporate. And a lot of times they place the blame on the folks who lead D&I. Right. And yep. so as this being your work, what do you wish people understood about the, the rate of change or the, the types of change that we're trying to make happen within the walls of yeah. America? Well, we didn't get here overnight. Right. And it's going to take us a minute to uh, reverse some things. That's one. The second one is I would challenge individuals to work on their own preparedness. Because if I can go through here and open some doors, you need to be ready to come through it and do you. Don't make me pull you. Because <laughs> look, it's like Harry Thomas saying, I don't have time. <laughs> you coming, you coming. <laughs> um, and and, and, and I, I have experienced and seen where individuals have not been ready to take that next step. So while you think change isn't happening, this truly is a game of inches. And so while you may think that nothing's happening, I'm celebrating all kinds of small wins. Like I got a chance to talk to the board of directors about this. I got an agreement to do X, Y, and Z. I got support to make this investment in this program. I got agreement on who, you know, the profile of individuals we want to put in you know, an X program. Um, I, I have the leeway to be able to, you know, pick six or 12 people to come with me and, and, and go someplace, right? Those are things that not everybody's gonna know. I'm not necessarily shouting it from the rooftop, yeah. but sharing, you know, some good news stories along the way, just so that you know that there is activity. 
Um, but I do recognize that, that some people are very impatient. I can be very impatient um, myself, but I understand what the scaffolding needs to look like. So whatever progress is made, it doesn't deconstruct or devolve because Melissa is not here to push it. I'm trying to build, this is just me, okay? I'm trying to build sustainable practice hmm. so that the organization understands what it means to take inclusive approaches to everything that we do and what it looks like when you don't, okay? Hmm. And so we have to all continue to educate ourselves in many different kinds of ways. And so if, if, if I'm listening to, let's say, a white male senior leader, right? And I hear him say, you know, I'm trying to put more and more time on my calendar to where I'm talking individually with different um, emerging leaders one-on-one. 15 minute conversations, you know, that's a win for me. Someone else might think it's corny. It's not enough, right? But I'm like, they're making space and time. Like it's getting in the psyche. Um, the question is, are you ready? If you were the one that drew the straw to get that phone call, are you ready for that conversation? And I've watched people. We just had this conversation. I've watched people get scared straight. Deer in head, like don't know what to say, what to do. That individual is off to something else. And then, and then you wonder what happened, right? So, you know, I like to say, be easy on your DNI practitioner, but have a conversation with him or her about where are we heading as an organization and what can I do to help or support you? Mm-hmm. I wish the preparedness conversation is one that we had more frequently with black folks. Like maybe it doesn't have to be on a, in a public forum because what I have seen in this work, like, you know, we do um, uh, employee development and retention work for a lot of major corporations. There are a lot of people who have, who walk around thinking that they are prepared and excellent and they are not. And mm-hmm. it's not because for lack of trying is that they haven't necessarily had the conversation around what excellence looks like here. What mm-hmm. it looks like in this organization. What is it? That's right. Right. And one of the things that we get all the time is, you know, people don't feel like they get feedback that they can use. Data shows that Black folks typically don't get the same type of actionable feedback. Right. But amongst us, I wish people, I wish I could say that I felt like people were more receptive to that conversation because sometimes people take it personally. But I do think that the preparedness conversation is one that we need to have more often. I, I, I absolutely, absolutely. You know, there, I love sports, right? Different kinds of sports. And what I really like about sports, and I relate that to the workplace, is with sports, you always are, are, are told to know who your opponent is. Understand who your opponent is. Understand what the vibe of our team looks like. What's our team spirit, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's the score? <laughs> you know, who's winning and who's not? Um, and how can I change my game to make sure that I am seeing some improvements and in that advancements mm-hmm. um, in the game overall? And, you know, what does success look like in general? Is it okay to have a tie? And in some cases it is, <laughs> you know, you can't persist that way, but some, sometimes it is. But the fact of the matter is I got to be on my game. I can't operate according to Watchin's game. Mm-hmm. I got to be on my game. I need to understand what my game looks like. And I need to be willing to condition my game, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the preparedness conversation. What got me into this role is not going to be enough to sustain me into this role, much less push me to the next role, mm-hmm. unless I'm okay where, with where I am. And there's nothing wrong with being okay with where you are. Mm-hmm. But don't have expectations about where you want to be and you've not put any effort in taking the steps and being prepared to seize that opportunity should it show up. Mm-hmm. Should God say, it's your time. It's your time right now. What you going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, 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 there's all a connection in there. and We never know who's been placed in our path to mm-hmm. assist and support us. Yeah. Tell me what I need to know. Be curious. Don't just be in a space 
with people who have experience and knowledge and a broader perspective on the organization, if I just had five minutes, what questions would I ask? Mm -hmm. That's a part of that preparation. Um, And then getting um, direct, accurate, and credible feedback. Consistently. Consistently. Consistently, right? And, and I always say, if a thimble full of feedback is true, you need to let that sink into your bones and wrestle with, okay, so what will I do different? Mm-hmm. What will I do differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's also self-coaching as well. That's not giving away my power if I hit a failure, right? That is making sure that I have enough accurate self-insight to know what my strengths are, which what my areas of development are, um, how uh, how I can address those areas of development, even if it's very self-directed, which oftentimes it is, um, and that everybody's not going to get everywhere at the same time. That's okay. What is my game? My my both. I have two uh, kids. Both of them were athletes, and I would always tell them, "You don't have to talk a lot of trash and mean mug people. Let your game speak. They'll know." They'll know if they if they're standing back there with you know hands on top of head going oh my gosh what just happened and you just scored they'll know and let's not waste our time fooling with somebody else's emotions. But and I think also and you know there are lots of reasons for this, but I think that sometimes people don't even understand what sport they're playing. Right, you're out here playing football, but you're on a basketball team. We don't or that you're even in the game. And so I literally did a post about this. And to me, that is the equivalent of joining a football team, going on the field every day, but decide that you're not going to learn the rules. Eventually, you're going to get knocked over. Eventually, you're going to get hurt. And it's not because people are, there are some some things, right, that are out of your control. Uh, Absolutely. But you didn't, you didn't learn the rules so you could decide which ones you wanted to break or change or whatever. At a certain point, right, especially, and I think this is important for people when they're junior, because this kind of work determines the type of leader you become. And if you aspire to leadership, self-awareness is one of the pillars of a great leader because then they don't project their own insecurities and their own career bitterness or whatever it is onto their teams. And so if you don't get that practice when the stakes aren't as high, you ruin your career and a lot of other people's careers along the way just because you didn't work on that muscle. Yes, and they'll call you insecure, right? They'll call you out of touch. And, and I would say it's not only is it a pillar, it's, it's a competency. And that's the other thing. That's the other aspect of preparedness, right? Understand what your organization's brand of leadership is. And even if it's not a defined brand, what does leaders who are well-regarded in your organization what are some of those characteristics and traits that you are observing? And I'm not saying I'm not trying to say try to be them. I'm saying, you know, it's it's like chili, right? Some people like their chili more spicy than others. Some like it with beans, without beans, or whatever. What is your formula? But at the end of the day, I still got a pot of chili. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my version. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand that you like it a little bit more spicy and you like it a little bit more mild. So I need to shift and prepare for that opponent versus that opponent, right? And so, um, you know, I, I hear people say, you know, all the time, well, I don't do corporate politics. If you swipe in that badge every day to get up in there, yes, you are. You're either on the bench, <laughs> you're either in the stands or you squarely on the field. You need to figure out how you are thought of and in terms of what they see as your role being and what role do you want to play? Because trust me, it's about having the savvy to know who does what, who's calling the shots, who's influencing things behind the scenes versus who's out front. You should understand those kinds of things if you're going to be in an organization every single day, just toiling away. Do you know where you're going? You know, and it's not about being restless. It's about eyes wide open, aperture open. Do I know what and who I'm dealing with and what I want to get out of this for as long as that lasts, however long that lasts. Mm-hmm. And I think 
you know, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot. If you understand what ingredient you are in the chili, there's no reason to be that because you're not trying to be the beans. If you know you're the tomato of the organization, you're not trying to be all of the up because there are so many different things and that come together to make a department, an organization, a team, whatever work. And when you're clear on what purpose you serve in that mix, it takes away a lot of the other foolishness that comes with corporate politics. And mm-hmm. corporate politics is just, it's politics, period. Organizational politics. This is a nonprofit. This is in corporate. This is even people who start their own organizations. Politics is part of the culture, right? Some have toxic, you know, behaviors, but politics and, and figuring out how you position yourself to achieve whatever outcome you desire is a part of being a human, I think, right? And like figuring out how you navigate these spaces. And so I think getting clarity around who you want to be. What do you feel like your contribution to the organization or your highest value is helps quiet and helps you deal with a lot of the other stuff in a way that's very different than if you are trying to be everything to everyone, just so Mm -hmm. people think that you are valuable. Absolutely. And it is an incredible drain of, it depletes your own resources, right? It is just emotionally draining. Those are calories that you will burn and won't get those back. Mm-hmm. And you're always trying to please someone else, right? I, ha- I had a, a, a man, a brilliant man once say to me, you know, if you can't change your environment, you change your environment. And you go, that's a word right there. That, that is, you can't can change. do it. If you can't change your environment, change your environment. Change your environment. But people because they're not like, here to people don't feel like they have that power though. Like I feel like people feel so powerless when it comes to their careers. But I got a power of one. I'm a power of one. I can't control you. I, maybe there's something that I did or said that might have influenced you, but I can't control you. I can control me and how I respond to things, right? And that's what I mean about pull the aperture back. What blinders, you know, maybe I was working for a manager who thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. Manager then relocates. Now I got to rebuild that credibility with someone else all over again, perhaps. But what's riding in my blind spot? What worked for her may not work for this next manager. Doesn't make this next manager wrong or worse. It's just that I've now got to understand what is it that they are interested in, need to have happen, those kinds of things. Because if I can help them solve their issue, then I hope that I'm able to benefit from Mm. that. Mm. Because every company does some kind of annual talent review. Those are the things that they talk about. Those are the qualities that they really hone on. Wow, she's got great ideas. She's really a go-getter, you know? He always has something really, um, really intriguing to share. It makes us think differently. You know, those are the conversations that enter into those succession planning discussions mm. that enters into those annual talent review discussions that I know most people don't know that it's happening, but they are. Mm. And people are being ranked. You know, it's the whole like old GE model. You know, rank and yank. There's not as much yanking going on, but there's definitely ranking going on, right? So you may never know where you where you rank. But at the end of the day, you know, do I really need to harbor on the fact that I'm first or second or third in the ranking? Or do I need to make sure that I am back to that seed time and harvest? Am I gaining from the organization? Am I gaining? And guess what? If that organization doesn't see fit to really put me to use in a situation where I can continue to maximize and build upon my contribution, that's, they, they miss that. I can go to someplace else, change my environment, mm. right? I can do this for someone else. And when people feel like they don't have control, I think they're, they're probably way too tied to a singular situation. You gotta be open to other possibilities. Like really take some time, stop, be quiet, write out 
if I could have it my way, what would I do? Mm. What do my ideal job preferences look like? Mm -hmm. Where would I be? And it will probably change over time, which is also good, Mm -hmm. right? Never in a million years that I think I would find myself in the banking and financial services industry. But here I am. (laughs) I'm having a good time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But you, but but I also feel like probably I'm, I'm probably nosy. That's probably part of it too. You know? <laughs> I think we all have a little fear of missing out. But I just say, hey, put me on that list. I'm coming. I'm gonna see what that's about. Mm. But being prepared means what is my objective? Who do I want to meet when I'm there? Mm. Or do I just want to make sure that Chief So and So knows that I was there? Hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. This is great. Then bounce. Check mark. Objective met. Mm. Right. <laughs> so so it's it. there's a lot of, I think, little strategies that people can put into play that they often overlook that mm. you don't need any permission. You don't need any permission. You just need to decide if I'm going to spend eight plus hours a day. Putting my time and energy into this organization, what is it that I want to get out of it besides being a part of the compensation continuation program? Mm. That's a given. Right. Yeah. What else do I want to learn more about? You know, for example, when I, I came to Wintrust because I, you know, their motto is to be Chicago's bank. I thought that was extremely intriguing for the kind of work that I do. And I, and guess what? They said, I, I said, does it make a difference that I don't know anything about banking and financial services? They said, no, <laughs> we just want you to know what you know how to do. <laughs> and I was like, got it. <laughs> You know, and so that, right? So then what do I have to do? I've got to come in and understand your world as best I can, not become an expert, but I have to at least be able to speak with a degree of understanding about what it is you're trying to accomplish on a daily basis and then link in, integrate in what I'm bringing to the table as well. And like, for those of you who have our performance review planner, you all know that we say it's three P's. You prepare, you perform, and then you prove, right? And you have to be equally as diligent in all three of those phases because performance reviews do make a difference. And a lot of people go into it with resentment, like, oh, I don't want to do this. It's time consuming. But it's important that you are thinking about it all year long. But one of the Mm -hmm. things that comes up, though, is how do people hold their managers accountable? Right. So people who feel like I've been doing all the right things, I've been checking all the right boxes. It's like the target moves every time. I've done all the classes that you've told me to do. I've gone to all the seminars. I've done all the networking and it's not making a difference. Like what what can they do? Have they had a conversation about why it isn't making a difference? So maybe you were doing the wrong thing that they didn't think was important. You know, so that's why one on ones are important. Mm-hmm. So use those. Don't roll your eyes like, oh my God, here's this every two weeks. Oh my God, I'm talking, you know, use those to your benefit. In fact, maybe you plan the agenda as to what you're going to talk about. At least have two things on your list <laughs> that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm not of the annual performance review. Um, not, it's not because I don't think they're important. But I believe managers and leaders should be checking in throughout the year. I shouldn't have any surprises to share or to receive. Right. <laughs> you know, and so taking advantage of those one-on-ones, you know, and I, I, I will tell my team, you know, what's the two, three things that you want to talk about this time? Here's one thing that I had, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I may not have anything, but this is your time. What do you want to share? You know, it could be personal. It could be Like, what do you want to share? During the pandemic, we added to that by um, having an annual meet. I'm sorry, a weekly meetup every Friday morning. We would have a virtual meetup mm-hmm. where we just we talked about anything from plants to children to you know uh, current events, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just another way. That was that sort of dr- drive by my office, you know. Uh, uh, kind of situation, but it was it, it was no pretense around. I need a status check on whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, but it was just a way to just connect as people, mm. you know, and as a unit. Um, but that's in addition to, by the way, one on ones, 
team status meetings and we did the meetup. Mm, love and that. when I would say, hey, do, do we want to do we want to like not do this anymore? Oh, no, no, no. We're still going to do this. OK, I just I'm just checking in. Right. I'm just checking in. So the holding the manager accountable is do you feel like you're hearing from her or him what it is that you need to do more of, less of, keep doing? You know, am I focusing on the right things? Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes they may feel like you're doing great. You're doing great. Like, calm down. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Um, take that as feedback as well. I'm probably not giving as much credit to myself as I should be mm-hmm. for being on top of my game, being accountable, being dependable, these kinds of things. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to, you know, make them paranoid and frankly hate to see me coming <laughs> because I keep asking them how I'm doing, right? Yeah. But managers should be, and you know, there's a difference between managers and leaders, right? Managers should be checking in to make sure the um, standard performance objectives are being met, right? And that they are consistent for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Leaders will have an additional conversation around what does your outlook look like? And I'm not talking about your email box. I'm talking about what are some of your aspirations, right? Some of that go, grow, stay, go, grow kind of conversation. If you stay, what kind, you know, what, what kind of what kind of experiences would you like to have? You know, what, what would you like to learn more about? How do you need to grow? You know, what are some of some particular skills that you've kind of had your eye on? Um, you know, and then um, if there's intention on leaving, please give me some kind of heads up, you know, because if there's something that I can do, and I believe change is good. Yep. But if there's something that I missed or something that I can do, especially if you're part of a big team, you know, sometimes you've got to come in and make sure that I have a sense of what you, what your experience of the team and the organization actually are. Please don't, please don't surprise me by way of an exit interview. Yeah, that would be rough. And so really quickly before we go to the lightning round question. So two things to remember. One, the only person's career that you're typically focused on is your own, but your manager is focused on a a, a team of people, right? And so the more you are proactive in sharing your wins and, and, and making agendas and those things, you're easier to help. And so you get probably more help, right? Because they are managing a lot of things in their own careers. And the second thing is I would say perfect the art of asking good questions. When you ask good questions, you get better data and better answers which then informs the actions that you take, right? So mm-hmm. no people are afraid to ask questions, but the better you get at asking questions and follow-up questions, the easier all of this becomes. Yeah, you know, there's a great book called The Why Behind the Why. And it keeps getting that. Do you have that book you looked up? Do you have that book? I do. So it, it just it just helps you to figure out how to ask great questions. And it's why. Well, well, well why do we do it that way or why? Is that important to the organization? Those kinds of things, and not in a whiny kind of way, but really in a in a very thoughtful, inquisitive kind of way. Um, the other part around, you know, sort of what you're bringing to the table in general is, you know, getting back to the sports analogy. It's like free agency. They're looking at statistics. They're looking at results. They're looking at contribution. They're looking at how can this person fill a gap mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of the positioning as well. And guess what? Leaders talk to other leaders. You know, hey, Watson's been on my team. She's fantastic. And I think we need to figure out a way to really keep her part of this organization because she's going places. She's really good. Mm-hmm. And your team does X, Y and Z. Have you thought about maybe, you know, I'd be open to maybe moving her to your team so that she could get that experience. I think it'd be great. Yeah. You know, as much as I would hate to lose her because she's awesome. You know, but I'm more interested in her growth and her contribution to the organization. Mm. That's how that happens Mm -hmm. is really understanding, you know, frankly, what your quote unquote free agency could kind of look like. Um, And uh, also become interested in other parts of the organization. What do they do? How does your input and output affect their input and output? Mm -hmm. What do they do? 
And even if you think it's not connected at all, surprise yourself, still learn about it, mm-hmm. still learn about it. You know, there's so much that I have learned about, uh, you know, banking and different aspects of banking and financial services. You know, don't put me in a position to close a deal for you, but <laughs> I can help you think about how we might be able to apply, you know, how we might be able to target some of these efforts mm-hmm. um, in a different kind of way. Um, and, and that, again, is taking inclusive approaches to everything that we do, because none of us is as good as, as all of us. And that's why they expend the energy to recruit, mm. because they need the bench to be stacked <laughs> uh, as well. Right. So mm. you want to make sure that you're put you're putting yourself in a position to at least have the option to explore those opportunities, not just get left behind because you fall, fell asleep at the wheel. Hmm. So we're going to go to the lightning round questions now. Don't think about it too much. Just the first thing that comes right. to mind. So okay. what one piece of career advice you wish that you had gotten earlier in your career? Make decisions for yourself. You know, I, I actually, um, like I said, I, I followed the path of what others thought was best for me. And, you know, I didn't necessarily give a whole lot of thought because I trusted them, hmm. you know, um, and I didn't really um, uh, really, uh, explore why this versus that. So make decisions, make decisions for yourself, really understand what your own value is. Um, what's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the most significant impact? That, um, it was important to have a voice to, to know what my voice was, right. Um, and that every seat I have occupied I have earned. And I think that that was a very important lesson that you cannot extrapolate that seat from me. <laughs> I earned it and here's how, right? And, and I think that has helped to build um, confidence as well. What is the one book that you could read over and over again? Whistling Vivaldi by Claude Steele. And it's, it's about how there is, um, you know, this, this, this stereotype theory, this, this stereotype atmosphere that some of us walk around with that when we walk into a room and we know that we're probably in the quote underdog position, that there's this, this, this stereotype threat that says, oh, you're not good enough. You're automatically not good enough. And just the way that Dr. Steele just really kind of combats that and turns it around, um, it gave voice to something that I have felt personally and that I see people um, wrestle with that messes with our own self-confidence, right? And it's based off of some of that, you know, you got to be twice as good to be considered half as half as good, you know? Um, and and that, that can be damaging. Uh, uh, to some of us. And I just love that book, Whistling Vivaldi by Claude Steele, that that kind of addresses that. If Forbes is going to do a cover story in your career, what would the headline be? She hacked her way to the corner office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Lastly, we all know that decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? She helped us think outside the box. She pushed us to be better and to do better. She encouraged us to have more and more accurate self-insight, which included um, greater awareness of our own individual cultural identities, because that's what makes us tick and really makes us take some of the actions and behaviors that we uh, display. And ultimately, and this is what I live for, she made a difference. Mm. Mm. And with that, thank you so much, Melissa. This was amazing. I could talk to you all day long. All day. Let's do part two. You should. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much watching for the invitation. Uh, I think your work is uh, fantastic. I love even the title of your podcast, your program. You know, I choose the latter because this is a choice, right? So 
you know, kudos for all the great work that you're doing and continue to do, you know, and as I say, God bless your ministry, because I think that's what it is. Um, and uh, such a pleasure to talk with you live. Now, I told you all that Melissa was phenomenal. And as always, I think that we over delivered on that episode. And you all know that I like to end each episode with the top three things that I took away. Um, so the first thing is following the steps that you think you're supposed to take in your career, as opposed to intentionally choosing to follow steps that are in alignment with the work that you think that you are meant to do. You know, she talked about how in the beginning of her career, she just followed whatever anyone told her that they thought she'd be good at. And eventually she made a change to be intentional about picking the things that she wanted to learn more about and explore. And I think that that is something that we can all learn from. Um, her thoughts on being left behind professionally. I know that a lot of us feel time pressure to do certain things. I've talked about this um, as it relates to the talk show and all those types of things. And so to hear her say, that's something as you know traumatic as a layoff helped reframe her thoughts on you know being left behind and where she should be professionally and um, was really helpful to me and then lastly this one um, I think is my favorite gem is about being able to celebrate others on their career path even if you are not where you are and being able to do that without envy and seeing other people succeed being tapped for roles or whatever the case may be um, and not feeling envious of them because you know that what is meant for you is for you as always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can connect with me personally on Instagram at I see you watching or with I choose a ladder on Instagram at I choose a ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.